Denver's Sports Station, 1043 The Fan presents the Honorable Judge Dan Jacobs. Well, I'm leaving you tomorrow. Sunday morning. It's the Dan Jacobs Show. It's the easy, like, Sunday morning edition of the Dan Jacobs Show. And, man, that show is, that song is apropos because, man, it is a little, uh, it's a little gloomy. Keeps you a little subdued, like a little uh, chill out there today. What do you say? Cindy Cora behind the glass. Is it, isn't it? it like that a little bit? Yeah, I think it's going to be a gloomy day. Yeah. All day. Gloomy Sunday. I, it's just, dude, it's been so hot, and then it's chilly. Uh, it was about 57 degrees, you know, this morning. What I do is I get up. I get up a little bit early, and uh, I slept in a little bit today. I've, I've uh, been a little under the weather, um, and uh, but I did, you know, I got up about 6.30, whatever, and I do, I do a little bit, uh, you know, it's, it's basically a sort of, a, you know, somewhat of a, a positive meditation to start my day. And I'm outside. I had to put a jacket on. It was chilly. Wait, what, what? How do you go through your meditation? What's your? Well, it's called priming, right? Oh. But that's really because you know, guys, you don't want to be. You know, I'm a man. I don't want to call it meditation, but it's a uh-huh. it's a priming exercise. But if you're being honest about it, it is it is a meditation. But what you do is, um, and it's on you know it's on uh, you know the iPad or whatever. But it's you know, start your day. Uh, it's guided and you start with, um, three moments. You spend about three. So it's, you know, it's supposed to, it's ends up being about 15 minutes, but you're, you know, supposed to be about 10, but, uh, you take three minutes to, um, envision something you're, you know, three moments you're grateful for, right? Mm -hmm. Because you cannot be stressed and grateful at the same time. You can't be angry. You can't be mad and grateful at the same time. Right. It's just impossible. Yeah. If you're truly experiencing, you know, some gratitude, you're not going to be angry. It's the antidote. It's literally the antidote to stress and anger is gratefulness. So you you pick out and you envision three things that you're grateful for. And then there's this kind of cool, um, you know, it's kind of a meditation. You you picture this this light that's this kind of a cleansing, healing light that beams through your body and, and heals you and others you love. And then you, that's for three minutes. And then the final three minutes is three, um, three to thrive. Three minutes of three things that you want to accomplish. Uh, it doesn't have to be, the, you know, that you're going to accomplish that day, but either, you know, in the near future or long term. And boom, it's supposed to be 10 minutes. Usually goes a little bit longer than that, but that's it. In wow. A nutshell. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, that's so I was doing that out uh, on the back porch there out there on the uh you know, I back to the Aurora, Kansas border out there by the Arapahoe County Fairgrounds. I had to put my jacket on today, Sydney. It was a little chilly. Oh, no. Yeah. You well, know fall's coming when you have to start putting your jacket on in the morning. 
Yeah. It well, is also a gloomy day. So. Yeah, so it's gloomy, but it's like at 57 degrees. I'm thinking, well, you know, we've been out there at the uh, denversports.com zone. And, you know, it's thankfully we're, you know, in the shade because we have the big tents up, the big denversports.com tents. And we got the, you know, our, our program director, Raj, has all these, uh, they're, they're basically little air conditioners. They're like buckets with water. And then they got these fans and it's very, you know, we got a very nice setup out there, and Gravinas gives us some uh, nice ice cold water to consume throughout the throughout the day. So, if you're in the DenverSports.com zone, you're relatively cool. But if you go out to the the practice part of you know, you're sitting on the hill, it is it's very toasty. And I know we talked about it yesterday, but if you weren't listening to the show, we had actually James Merrillat and I will talk. Actually, you'll li- you know what? I'll save it for next segment because we're going to revisit our conversation with um, James Merrillat. Um, but, you know, th- we-, we had a nice experience with a, D- a Dan Jacob show listener. Um, so, oh, see, I see, you know, it's funny. Every once in a while, you know, I'm doing the show and I take a peek at the text line. And, you know, we, okay, so Sydney, I, I shared, you know, something a little personal, you know, the meditation. And I'm like, all right, here we go. Where here I'm gonna here take, we go. Here uh, comes a text. All right, here <laughs> comes a text. And it says something about manly, right? I'm like, somebody's going to be taking a shot. So I'm like, all right, let me take a look at it. And, you know, but here, Dan Jacobs Show listeners, they continue to impress me. So here it is, Kyle and Inglewood. He says, Haha, Dan, there's nothing more manly than taking care of your mental health so you can be the best version of yourself and for everyone around you. Cheers. That's from Kyle in Inglewood. Right on, Kyle. Yeah, Kyle, thank you. Uh, so I thought it was going to be a shot, and it was actually something very positive. Uh, thank you to you. See, it, I was actually blown away because every time I share the thoughts about the grounding, uh, Sydney, I shared you know how I'm doing the grounding stuff. Um, you know, harnessing the energy of the natural energy of the earth yeah. while I'm sleeping. And people go nuts for that. They're like, Dan, tell me more. How's it going? And this and that. And they're, you know, can you tell me how I can do that? And Dan, I've actually started doing that too. And it's fantastic. So I shared that and people are, were, I thought they're going to, you know, and some of them were like doing, you know, tongue in cheek. They're like, Dan, you kook, you chewing on nut job. You know, they're, they're, you know, kind of leaning well, I love into how it. people are, uh, they're associating meditation with being a member of QAnon. Yeah, well, no, that was the grounding. <laughs> oh, for grounding. The grounding. Did, have you been familiar with what that was, Sydney? What, QAnon? No, grounding. Oh, yeah, I know I, I know what grounding is. Yeah, so I had shared with the listeners I've been doing that. And almost overwhelmingly, they've been very supportive, and they're like, tell me more, tell me more. But I, some people were like, you know, yeah, you QAnon kook. You know, just in good fun. They're just, you know, having some fun with me. Um so, um, so anyway, but no, most people have been very supportive for it. And, you know, I thought, you know, every, do you, the listeners, they continually surprise me. It's, uh, you know, what good people they are and how supportive they are. And, um, it's very, very awesome. So I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, I was going to actually ask the listeners. So actually I, I committed a faux pas, uh, an extreme faux pas. And maybe Sydney, you can weigh in on this. You know, so I do, I get up a little early, I'm buzzing around, I cleaned up the kitchen, um, had a little bit of coffee, not a lot, uh, did my priming exercise, you know, played with the dog a little bit, and then, you know, before you know it, it's time to get up, come here, and do the show prep. And so I go downstairs to get dressed, 
And I didn't even know it. Now, the wife, I'm working her pretty hard. Now, if you've heard my ads for 303 Law 4040, I talk about, you know, we're not one of those law firms where, you know, you're going to get, you know, pawned off on some call center or whatever. You're actually going to speak with me. Or if I'm in court or on the air, you're going to speak to my lovely wife, Kimberly. That's true. So I'm working her pretty hard. So during the, the weekends, that's her time off. And, um, you know, she's we, we're saying we're being very intentional about letting her rest on the weekend. So she was still in bed. I came downstairs, and I didn't even think about it. I just slipped on the light. Has that ever happened to you? Classic Dan. Yeah. You know, I was just like, all right, let me get, let me, and you know, it's still, it's pretty light by this time. It's, you know, it's after eight o'clock, but she's still resting. She's in that state where she's not really awake yet. She's probably half asleep. She barks at me a little bit, Sydney. I'm like, ah, oh, man, what, what I do, what I do, you know? And I'm like, well, I'm sorry. And she's like, you woke me up all last night, blah, 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 blah. I'm sorry, honey. I didn't mean it. So I apologize. So today, you know, because today's her day off. But tomorrow, so she's like, she finally said, because during, um, you know, during the football season, um, I don't work Sundays, so I at least have that day off. But, you know, I have a lot of jobs. I'm a judge. Um, I still help some people on the real estate side. Um, You know, and, of course, we have 303 Law 4040 kicking. And then during football off season, I'm, I'm doing the show. Um, you know, both Saturday and Sunday. So I, I, I had been working seven days a week. And then once I hired my wife, you know, to come uh, work for me, she finally, you know, we, we appreciate each other more because we see, oh, she's like, dude, you are really working really hard. And, and now I have her working really hard. So she, she is, she has mandated that I take one day off a week. And that, that day is Monday. It's tomorrow, Sydney. And so Broncos are off. I had been, you know, I, I, you know, last week I went to Broncos training camp, even though that's still working a little bit for the show, but it's a good time. Um, so the Broncos are, are not, they're off, you know, as far as training camp, I don't know if they're practicing and it's not open to the public, but I will not be going to training camp tomorrow because it's not open to the public. Um, so I, I, I have to find something to do. I might take, you know, normally I, w- I go to a movie, but I've, I've seen all the movies that are out that I want to see. Um, so I'm probably not going to go to a movie. I guess I could go see the Meg, the shark movie, right? The, but that would just be going, it's not going to be a great movie, but it, it would just be going to the movie just to see a movie. So dude, what do you think about that? Um, I don't, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Yeah, why not? I don't, I don't want to go to the movies and see a movie that I'm not interested in. Yeah. I mean, I'd be mildly interested. That's it. <laughs> I mean, you could go and, and make fun of it. I like to make fun of bad movies. Yeah. Um, but you, you could hit the links. Yeah. Well, I'll probably go to the driving range in the morning. So I'll probably, um, although I've been a little bit under the weather, um, I will, if I'm feeling good enough, I'll get up, I'll go to the, you know, the boxing workout class and then do the driving range. But then, you know, the, that's all done by like 8 a.m. So then it's like, all right, what am I going to do with the rest of the day? Uh, I'm, I could take the, the kids swimming. You know, that might be something nice. Um, I could stop by the denversports.com zone just to say hi. I might do that. Yeah, say what up. Uh, say what's up. But uh, I don't know the rest of the day. What should I do? I could play a full round of golf, but my golf game just is not, uh, it's not in order. We got, I got a big, see, I got to get my golf game in shape because it got a big round 
Um, we're going to sneak away to Steamboat, a couple of guys at the station. I don't want to completely embarrass myself. We have kind of a golf weekend coming up in like eh, about three weeks, maybe a month. No, it's about a month from now. So I got to at least, you know, get my game in enough shape that I can, you know, not embarrass myself. Right, right. But I'm still in like driving range condition. I'm not like mm-hmm. in golf shit, you know, right. golf, you know, round of golf condition. I, you know, if I, if I, if I had to go out and play a round of golf right now, I'd be like Zach by, you know, <laughs> like, like that, you know? Oh, yeah. That's cold. Yeah. That's yeah, cold. yeah. Yeah. I don't want to do that. You know, I, I credit, you know, Zach for going out and do that. Although I, I've heard he's gotten a lot better, but you know. Dan, are you a reader? No, not much no? of a reader. It's a, it's a, it's amazing. I got through law school. Yeah, I can't. That's crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. I got through law school because <laughs> I, I, I do not like to read. Um, so and boo. By the way, on the text line, uh, you know, a lot of people are coming in on the meditation, and we'll get to that a little bit later in the show. The, this guy says, "Well, been grounding for years. Uh, well done, Dan. That's from Jimbo." Somebody else. Jimbo. Said, yes, consistently spending quiet time in nature is a vital part of my. Uh, mental health care routine, and then he sent me a picture of a beautiful picture of a uh, some uh, stuff out there. Um, and then here's another long one. I won't have time to read right now. I'll, I'll um, uh, get to that. Somebody says I need to take some time out for fishing. Problem is, I'm too much of a pansy now. I used to fish a lot with uh, when I was in Florida with my dad as a kid. I'm not going to touch the fish anymore. <laughs> you know. Like, if I get a fish on the line, what am I going to do? I'm not going to touch that thing. When I went to Africa last year, Terry Wickstrom sent us with a bunch of fishing poles because they have, like, a tilapia pond there. And they said, can you bring some fishing poles? So Terry Wickstrom sent us with a bunch of fishing poles. And they said, well, Dan, you brought the fishing poles. You got to teach the kids how to fish. Like, what do I know about fishing? I haven't been fishing in 35 years. And so I take the, the kids. I had a pretty good relationship with the kids at the village. I said, here's the deal. We're going to take you fishing. Um, but if you catch any fish, I ain't touching the fish. You're getting them off the hooks. And they said, all right. And they said, all right, Uncle Dan. Everybody out there that's any, any you know, older than you, they call you uncle. Right? So, all right, Uncle Dan. So we go. We're catching all these fish. And I'm like, uh. and by the way, the, the fishing poles Terry sent, they were so freaking, like, high end. We were like. Got them all jammed up, and so we ended up taking a lot of this, the string and, like, hooking them to the ends of, like, a stick, and we were catching fish that way. Yeah, That's all you need. Yeah, and we were all literally doing that and catching fish, like, the old, like, caveman way, taking, the you know, the, the string and the hooks that Terry sent us and just catching the fish that way. But I'm, you know, I'm not touching a fish. Uh, Sydney, looking at you, shaking your head, you're not doing it either. No. Well, you're, you're you know, you don't, you're not. I don't dig- eat. Yeah. I don't, I'm... I'm a vegan. Yeah, I so I don't want to go too personal with you. You're a vegan, so you're not you're not into that either. But you know, I'm not killing anything. But there is something very peaceful and special about being out on a lake and and fishing. And you could always catch and release, but uh, but that yeah. would require you to touch. The yeah, fish. I'm not touching the fish. <laughs> I'm not killing anything. Uh, you know, I like going to the lake and let my dog run around like crazy, but uh, not doing that. Hey, real quick. Um, I do want to, next segment, had a nice, uh, you know, caught up with, it was very tranquil. I didn't, uh, you know, sometimes when I visit with James Merrillat, we we get really fired up. Like last week, I think we got really fired up at each other. Didn't do that this week, but we had a nice civil conversation yesterday. Um, so I'm going to bring that up um, to you next segment. But before we do that, I do want to, on a very positive note, um, want to say congratulations to um, Dr. Jose Silva, and the Silva Family Foundation yesterday 
They gave out, listen to this, Sydney, over 2,560 backpacks at their annual event over at Sloan's Lake filled with school supplies to anybody that needed them. Um, they gave out some scholarships as well to, to local kids. So great job, um, Jose and his wife, Tina, and the Jose, um, the Silva found, uh, Family Foundation. Great job. And by the way, I think, you know, they may have some extras, and I think if anybody needs, still needs a backpack, I, I, I don't know this for certain, but I'm sure Dr. Silva will take care of you. If you just Google those, you know, Silva Family Foundation, I'm sure they'll take care of you. But they did a fantastic job. This event just, I think it's been going on for 15 years. And it just, you know, when, when Dr. Silva was nothing, he wasn't a doctor. He was just some some kid that wanted to help out in the community. He says, I'm going to help kids with backpacks and supplies. And it's grown to this massive event. Every year it gets bigger and bigger. And they, they do, you know, they have all sorts of, you know, things that help out kids when they uh, put this event on at Sloan's Lake once a year. And, uh, yeah, they give out backpacks filled with school supplies for, for kids that, that, that need them, that can't afford them on their own. So it's so awesome. I want to tip my cap to them. The Jose, uh, well, the, the Jose Silva, it's the Silva Family Foundation. Again, I think if, if you still need a, a backpack with supplies, get a hold of them. But I want to tip my cap to them. Just something awesome that they do for the community. Uh, so congratulations to them and everybody that got a backpack yesterday. All right, coming up next, we'll uh, bring back our conversation, our very civil conversation with James Merlat. That is coming up next. Taking a break from laying down the law in the courtroom to lay down the law in the sports world. Here's Judge Dan Jacobs on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. All right, as promised, a very civil and nice composed conversation with the bigwig, the editor. You love him, and then you love him some more from Denver Sports. The editor of DenverSports.com, James Merlet. We welcome into the program, James Merlet. How are you, James? I'm good, Dan. How are you? I'm doing well. It was good to see you this week. Yeah, we had a, we had a fun time hanging out watching practice. Wasn't that cool? We're uh, we're out there on the hill, and we 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 had a fan of ours out there. That was nice. I think it was more of a fan of yours, but I appreciate you putting me in the group here. Well, no, he, he, you know, we so we were there. What was it? Was his name Derek? Ah, uh, boy, I don't. I think I his name recall. was Derek. Um, you know, if not, apologies to the. But I, you know, we hear him, uh, and he says, "Yeah, I heard. I heard on the Dan Jacobs show talking about the shade because it was hot." Yeah. And I said, hey, that's me. And he says, oh, man, I love the show. And I said, this is James Merillat. And he goes, oh, man, I love listening to you guys argue on Saturdays. Or he says, I love your segments. Uh, maybe maybe didn't say argue. So, yeah, he, he liked both of us. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's fair. But it was pretty funny because you were talking about how they need to be able to put shade. Essentially, you were doing the same rant you did the previous Saturday. Yes. And he just turns around and says, hey, I heard that on the Dan Jacobs show this weekend. I'm like, yeah, well, this is Dan Jacobs. You're getting the live version of it here once again on the Hill. It was it was funny. It was a funny moment. Yeah, but well, the way you're setting it up now, though, is acting like you didn't you weren't in a hundred percent agreement with me because you got you tucked tail and run right up to that tent about 15 minutes later. Did you not? Uh, I did, no doubt. Uh, you know, I've sat on that hill multiple days, Dan. I'm uh, I'm a little over the the, the sun, and my uh, my nose is starting to show that hey, it's time to find more shade. So you agree with me that the technology does exist, and it probably would not break Bronco's seventy billion dollar ownership to find a fix for it. Yeah, no, it's doable. I, I just think you know it would be temporary because they're going to do something much more grandiose than that. So it'll be interesting to see what. Uh, what comes of it, whether they 
do it on the hill there, or is it an entirely new facility somewhere out by a new stadium? You know, similar to what the uh, the Cowboys have with the Star down in Frisco, where that's their training facility, and they use it for all sorts of other things. I mean, you can uh, you can turn that into more than uh, than certainly what the Broncos have. So don't expect that investment at this point because it would be uh, it would be short lived. Well, it's interesting because uh, DMAC, I think, has done. I said DMAC, I can't believe you flip flopped on this. DMAC now thinks. So after years, and I always gave DMAC credit on this, of saying that the stadium right now is. Not a great spot because there's not much around it. He now believes that the the ownership is going to well. First off, he has this weird, weird theory um, that because they're from California, you know, Menlo Park, that the Broncos ownership is not in this for the long haul, and that they're just going to make a quick buck and get out. Um, but they're also not going to build these, you know, the go out by the airport or wherever and build a city upon itself with the practice facilities and all that. That they're more likely to just uh, go the cheap route and uh, build it up, you know, develop whatever they can around the current stadium, you know, obviously raise the current stadium, you know, you know bulldoze it and um, just kind of develop what they can around there. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, the location, I guess, to some extent doesn't really matter. It's what is the finished product, right? So, you know, could you modify the existing stadium and, and then develop south of it. You know, you've seen we've seen the renderings where the the parking lot that's south of the stadium, all the way past Colfax, turns into a multi-use development. There's residential, there's commercial, there's all sorts of stuff. Elevated Colfax kind of runs right through the middle of it. Like it's pretty cool. And if you redid the stadium, I think it has to have a roof because you want to be able to attract the Super Bowl, big time college football games, the Final Four, all the rest of that stuff. If you can do that on the current footprint. Fine, I got no issue with it. I, I mean, I think there is no spot in Denver that is worse in terms of traffic than that corner right by the stadium. You drive by there right now. I, I guarantee you, you're slowing down to 10 miles an hour. It doesn't matter. So I think that makes it a bit of a nightmare. But if, as long as you can make it to where, hey, this is a, a stadium that can be used for more than just Broncos games and a few concerts, and that the area around it can turn into something that 365 days a year is drawing people into it okay fine that that's great so if you can figure out how to do that there super go across the street or across i-25 uh, to the development that they're going to do when they finally bulldoze elitches e- fine or if you need you know more land and you got to do it out somewhere on c470 i'm fine with that too i don't really care where it is i'm more concerned about what it is and I don't want to just continue to put lipstick on a pig here when you've got a stadium that is the uh, the uh, basically it's what the, the new Comiskey Park is in baseball. That's what Empower Field is in football. It's the last stadium built before they finally started making them cool. Just time to admit the mistake that they made when they when they built that place and uh, and, and start fresh. So what do you want? You want um, you know you want uh, the big uh, city upon itself, right? You want the yeah the condos, the Walmart, the you know. McGregor Square on steroids? Exactly. That's exactly what I want. And and I want it to be something that, you know, in terms of a stadium, what the Raiders have, where the Chargers play, it's not their stadium, but where the Chargers play, what the Cowboys have, what the Falcons have, you know, the new modern uh, stadiums in the NFL that are just at the next level, that's what it needs to be in Denver. And that, that place, when it was in Vesco Field at the time it opened, it was nice. But there was nobody who said, "Wow, I gotta, I gotta go to Denver and, and 
and see Pat's world. I just I got to I got to be a part of that. I got to experience it. It just was never that. So it's time to you know wow everybody. That's what you need to do. You need to the Broncos need to build a facility that takes stadiums and the community around the stadium to the next level, and everybody starts copying them. That should be the bar. Yeah. Um, so it's funny we're, when we were at camp, we're hanging out, and now you're a big, important guy. You're very, you, you know, you're the the head of DenverSports.com. You're a mover. You're a shaker. Uh, so you had to step away for a moment, and you came back about ten minutes later, and you said, "Well, what did I miss? I was <laughs> I was away making money." And I said, "Well, Tim Patrick just went down. Um, that's pretty important." And as it turns out, unfortunately, um, you know, he's he's done for the season. Um, Huge impact. Your thoughts on Tim Patrick going down and uh, how it impacts the rest of their season? Yeah, I think the Broncos made a mistake last year when Tim Patrick went down <laughs> and they didn't think they needed to replace him with bringing in someone new and thought, hey, you know, we've got young players that'll step up and fill that void and we've got plenty of guys and Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy are ready to be the starters. And then, you know, you get to like week 14 and Russell Wilson's out there trying to throw to Kendall Hinton, Brandon Johnson and Freddie Swain. And it just was a disaster. And here they are in the exact same situation. And so far, they're following the exact same plan. So they learned nothing from their mistake a year ago. I think people who talk about Tim Patrick not being a big loss, it's hysterical to me because they also used that as an excuse last year of like, well, here's why the offense sputtered. I mean, you know, when you lose Tim Patrick in, in training camp, that really is a setback. Okay, fine. I'll buy that. I think that's true. But then you can't say this year that it's not a big deal and that the Broncos don't need to go get somebody. And little Jordan Humphreys or Brandon Johnson or, or you know, Marquez Callaway or one of these other guys who's, who's never done it in their career is going to step up and be that third guy. I think they need to go out and bring somebody in who you know can do it at, at this level, not somebody you hope can do it at this level. I think that is a, a grave mistake. And they have to they, they only have to look back. 365 days ago to see oh yeah that's a mistake like it's the exact same situation and here they go down the exact same path i just want to bang my head against the desk it's it's flabbergasting to me who can they go get well there's all sorts of veterans out there jarvis landry's available julio jones is available um you know i wrote a column at our story at denversports.com that listed uh, the top guys that are out there so there's a bunch all the way down to you know, former CSU star Richard Higgins, who you could go get and bring in. And look, if you bring them in and the players you already have on the roster are better, fine. Then you feel better about that. But essentially, they're talking themselves into how good their group is. There's a group that has one Pro Bowl, and it was Cortland Sutton in 2019 before he tore up his knee. It is one of the most underachieving groups in the league, and they're one injury away. And I hear Zach Bai say this all the time, and he's right. Either one injury away to Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy from having the worst receiving unit in room in the entire league. They, they just are. And so, you know, we, we, we continue to fool ourselves that Kendall Hinton is a nice story, but that means he's a, he's a capable NFL receiver week in and week out. He's just not. And it's just is, it, it is Groundhog Day with how they overvalue the players they have at their position. Maybe Jerry Judy steps up and finally lives up to his potential. Maybe Cortland Sutton returns to his pre-ACL form. Maybe Brandon Johnson or uh, Marvin Mims, which raise your hand if you've noticed Marvin Mims once at training camp yet. Talk about a second-round pick who's made zero noise. You know, maybe some of these guys uh, take the, to the next step, but 
are three of them going to do it? Four of them going to do it? I mean, to some extent, Jerry, Judy, and Cortland Sutton have to do it, let alone somebody who's going to uh, step up and fill the uh, the void left by Tim Patrick. So I, I just think that is a big, big gamble, and I think it is one of many things that worked against Russell Wilson a year ago. And you're setting he t- you're setting him up for failure again if that's the group you're going to trot him out there with. By the way, I'm looking at your Twitter. Was it painful when you're talking about how great Nick Nick Benino is? I was talking about last segment how you know Nick Benino can't do well, otherwise it you know shoots down your Von Miller trade theory. Hey, I'd love to be wrong. <clears throat> I would love to be wrong. We'll see if Nick Benino can do it in a game when he's not going against Cam Fleming. But he's been great during <laughs> training camp. He's in the backfield constantly. But you know, at this point, what they've gotten for Von Miller is you know Nick Benito and Luke Wattenberg. So okay, I mean, if, if that's what you think you should get for the be- the best defensive player in the history of the franchise, <laughs> Nick Benito has to do more than uh, have a couple of good practices against an offensive line who can't block anyone at this point during camp. But does he look like he's ready to make the leap? Sure, so far so good, but. You know, the, the, the anointment of guys, because they have a couple of moments in, in camp, and the, oh, we're just going to pile on a guy, Russell Wilson, because there's a couple of moments in camp. It's like there's just so few reps. It, it, it is such a limited, small sample size. Let's see what they all do on Friday night against the Cardinals. Okay, if, if Nick Benito is constantly in the backfield, not that that means he's going to be a star, but okay, now I'll start to buy into it. If Russell Wilson in the offense goes out there and goes three and out and it's a mess, okay, then I'll start to worry. I think right now we're getting glimpses and you need to look for signs, but I think it's way too early to make any sort of determination, positive or negative. So, I sound, well, it sounds like we're somewhat in agreement on um, how much stock we actually put into this. I've been a little bit underwhelmed by this training camp, um, but I'm also being the voice of reason. and I want, I'm actually saying... I'm really – so we're in week three or four of the regular season. I'm not willing to really make any judgments on just, you know, kind of this team. I'm not like James Merrillat, who after a week one loss um, is, you know, making bold proclamations last year about this team and ends up buying me breakfast burritos. I want to give Sean Payton at least, a, you know, some sample size. I'm not, so I'm not putting much stock into this training camp. Sounds like you aren't either. No, I mean, listen, raise your hand if you remember the last time you were wowed by training camp. I mean, every year we go through this exact same routine with training camp and with preseason games. We're all excited about it. And then you go down like, eh, what am I really getting here? And then you're all excited for the first preseason game. We're going to get a quarter into it on, on Friday. I'm like, okay, I'm ready for the regular season. Like, you just don't learn a ton every year. We, we talk about all these guys that are shining at camp. And then when it's cut down day and they cut down to the 53, the guys who played the best supposedly in, in the preseason games and looked the best down in training camp are on that list of guys who got cut. It just happens over and over and over again, which tells us, you know, how more and more meaningless some of this is. It's especially so with the new CBA, the, the, the number of reps that they get. I mean, I, I was there yesterday and I made it a, a conscious effort from the moment he walked out of the locker room until the moment he walked in. I was charting nothing but what Russell Wilson did. And, yeah, he's off throwing footballs into a net, and, you know, they're, they're doing some of those kind of drills. But essentially, in terms of, like, 7-on-7 seven seven or 11-on-11, 11 11, he ran, like, 20 plays in an entire practice. I mean, he runs the same amount of plays as Stidham and Danucci. 
I, I just which slays me. I don't understand why that's the case. Why your 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 ones when this offense has been so bad gets a third of the reps during training camp when reps are limited. Um, but it really is hard to glean too much out of it. We don't know what the what the script is for that day. We don't know necessarily what they're trying to accomplish. So uh, you know, I, I think it was funny. I wasn't particularly impressed yesterday, but the consensus from all the folks who all gather and you know come up with their group think was, hey, the Broncos' offense was better today. Based on what? I mean, <laughs> the fact that they. You know, tried to do a, hey, we're down six, minute 48, need to march the length of the field and get a score. And they went false start, false start, three-yard completion, pick six. That was a that was a better offensive showing. So I, I just think, you know, it becomes a little bit of confirmation bias. You see what you want to see. I think the offense has certainly not been dazzling, but... I don't. I don't really recall a training camp when it was, and maybe that's because they've had such a bad offense for so long. It's hard to think back that far, but training camp uh, should be taken with a grain of salt. I'll put it that way. Um, I don't necessarily disagree with you on the reps, but it almost sounds like you are questioning the methods and operations of Sean Payton as a coach and the way he was running his practices. I'm questioning why the first team offense is getting a third of the reps. Yeah. Well, well he directs that. I know. That seems silly to me. What are you that doing? You're questioning Sean Payton? How dare you? <laughs> hey, he can go out and prove me wrong, and I think we all should have questioned. Well, I shouldn't say we all, because the, the former players on our station questioned it at the time. But we all should have questioned Nathaniel Hackett's methods more last year. It doesn't mean I'm a Sean Payton hater. It doesn't mean I'm calling for his head. If you, if you don't agree with 100% of what somebody does or somebody says, that doesn't mean you're not a fan of his and you're not rooting for him. I just think that's weird. I would like to see Russell Wilson, especially when they're not particularly firing on all cylinders, to get more reps. But do I trust that he knows what he's doing? Of course I do. That doesn't mean I can't scratch my head at it. I'm like, why in the world is Ben DiNucci getting so many reps? If, if the Ben DiNucci reps ever come into play this year, it is an unmitigated disaster, is it not? Uh, yeah, I would agree. Right. So what are we doing here? Well, I, I don't take issue with that. I just, I don't know. You're danger- You're getting into dangerous territory there. I mean, he's a very paranoid <laughs> guy. Dangerous? He's, he's a very paranoid guy, and I, I, would, I would tread lightly if you're going to be criticizing Mr. Payton. He, he doesn't like that. He's very distrustful well, of the media, and you could get in trouble. He and I see eye to eye because for a long time, at least for months now, when people have been talking about Russell Wilson and... You know, hey, he had his office in the building, and I said, hey, 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 wait a minute. If there's a, a kid that's misbehaving, I don't blame the kid. I blame the parent. That's on ownership and on George Payton and on Nathaniel Hackett. And in his rant to Jarrett Bell of USA Today, what did Sean Payton say? He blamed it on the parents. He was he was blaming it on exactly the same people I was. So Sean Payton and I see, uh, see eye to eye. I think he listens to the Dan Jacobs show and goes, hey, you know what? That's a good point. I'm going to roll with that. Right. Hey, last thing for you. Now, nobody's a bigger CU fan than you. That's correct. Um, and so it's interesting to me. It, I, it's kind of funny, you know, all this you know, smack talk and all these coaches directing uh, stuff um, at CU. The one coach saying, I think it was the Oregon coach saying, you know, what has CU ever, CU ever you know, done to, you know, one, to, you know, be causing any sort of turmoil, uh, turmoil anywhere? But it turns out they were the final death blow to the Pac-12 conference, it looks like. Your thoughts on that? 
Well, I'm saddened by the fact that the Pac-12 went away. I was excited when CU went there. I thought it was a fun conference to be a part of. I think those are schools that are cool to be associated with, and you can look at the schedule and think, hey, do I want to go up to Seattle for a game or to L.A. or to Phoenix and all the rest of that. The fact that the Pac-12 couldn't make it work and they couldn't find four schools to, to join into it and become essentially the, the – there's going to be three – 16-team conferences that are going to be the powers. There's one that's going to be the Big Ten. There's one that's going to be the SEC. And then the Pac-12 had the best advantage to be the one that's essentially west of the Mississippi. How they blew that and how they squandered that hand is beyond me. The Big 12, meanwhile, despite the defections of eventually Texas, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, Missouri, Nebraska, Colorado, is still alive. Like, uh, how that has happened is amazing to me. And the Pac-12 just blew it. They blew it. So it, it's a shame. Colorado found a, a place to, to land, which is good. You don't want to be on the outside you know, looking in. When the music stops, you want to make sure you have a chair. So good for them. Am I excited about being a part of a conference that is a hodgepodge of you know, West Virginia and UCF and Houston? And, no, I'm not. I thought the Pac-12 made a lot more sense. But college, college sports is just a complete and utter mess. It is. We, we, you know, you couldn't walk down – any street in Denver and get anybody who could name half the schools that are in the Big 12 anymore. Um, so that's a little bit laughable. And as far as the Oregon coach, dude, what does he want? Right? Like, come on. I mean, if you want to talk trash in your, I don't know, if you're Nick Saban, okay, fine. But if you're a guy who hasn't won anything, you're going to talk about Colorado not winning anything? I, come on, I roll my eyes. And look, he's not wrong. But it just seems a little bit weird. It's not like, you know, that guy's just running out of mantle space at his house for all the trophies he's brought to the Ducks. I mean, that was a little bit laughable. Yeah, isn't it funny, like, how all these coaches are just coming out of the woodwork to try and get a piece of Coach Prime? That's jealousy, right? (laughs) Like, they didn't have the cojones or weren't empowered to do what he did. The best one, and I don't even know the guy's name off the top of my head. I'm blanking on it. But the new coach at Oklahoma yeah, being critical of, of Prime. It's like, dude, you inherited a program that's constantly in the preseason top 25, if not the top 10, from Lincoln Riley, right? And you don't have to come in and clean house when you've got a bunch of four- and five-star recruits that are sitting there. He didn't inherit a team that was 1-11 and 11 last year, and that only win came in overtime against Cal. Like, to, to be critical of the way... Coach Prime has done it. What do you want him to do? You want him to act like it's 1985 and he's going to try and go from one and eleven to three and nine, and then hopefully five and seven. Like that's just not the way it works anymore. So again, a guy who inherits, uh, you know, it's the proverbial guy who got born on third base. That's what the, that's what it is when you become the new head coach at Oklahoma. You weren't taking over the worst program, arguably the worst program in college football. If you if you are and you're Coach Prime and that's what you're inheriting, if you do anything but clean house and blow it up, you're making a grave mistake. So, I find all of it comical. I hope uh, beyond all hope, and you know this is the CU fan in me as well, but also just kind of to shut these guys up. I hope Prime goes out and and uh, improves them all wrong. That will be hysterical. All right, James Marillat from DenverSports.com. You're the best. Thanks for joining us. All right, Dan. Appreciate it. Have a good all weekend. Right. All right, that was James Merrillat. If you want to react to anything that he said, you'll have your chance coming up next. The RamosLaw.com, or the Ramos Law text line is 303-713-1043. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Dan T. Jacobs Law. Quick timeout coming up here on The Fan. Judge, jury, executioner.
Okay, that got really dark fast. Now back to his honor, Judge Dan Jacobs on Denver Sports Station. 1043, The Fan. Uh, thanks to James Merillat. He's looking up stats here. And, uh, um, Dalvin Cook, you know, because James was talking about, this is my line of th- th- thinking on this. Um, so James is talking about the loss of Tim Patrick and how last year when Tim Patrick went down, they just kind of st- stood pat and, Thought, oh, we can promote guys up. Uh, and that was a mistake. And my problem all along, the reason I thought that we need to kind of be patient with this Broncos squad and be fair to them is that I don't think that they had markedly upgraded this roster, particularly on offense. And people said, Dan, you're crazy. they got gotten so much better. That and Mike McGlinchey, who is not a very highly rated pass rusher, uh, pass, rush, uh, pass blocker, excuse me, um, in the pass blocking game, blocking the pass rush. Sorry, I got my wires crossed there. Um, and Ben Powers. Kind of neglecting to note that Garrett Bowles, who had his only good season in his career ever during the COVID year, and then began to regress again after he came back and the COVID rules and the empty stadiums and everything were gone. And then he got injured. So Garrett Bowles, who was a career disappointment outside of one year and then began to regress after that and then got hurt, is your starting left tackle. Lloyd Cushenberry, by all accounts, is not a starting NFL center, and they're just waiting to find his replacement. And then you have Quinn Miners at right guard, who we're still waiting to see if he's really a truly NFL starting guard. We all hope he is. I'm not rooting against him or anything. We're just waiting to see. Truly, we'll find out this year. And then you have Mike McGlinchey who was one of the worst-rated, more not worst-rated, but one of the lower-rated, I think it was like 56, but, you know, one of the shocking, shockingly lower-rated uh, pass-blocking tackles in the league. But, again, the group think in the media just rolls along and says the offensive line is just going to be awesome. And I said, you know, I, we need to wait and see because we hear that. We have heard that every single year for probably the last five years at a minimum, at a minimum, right? Going back to they signed Donald Stevenson. Well, that's going to fix the problem. Then they signed Merrick Watson, who had never done anything except for be hurt. And that was going to sign the, you know, fix the problem. And then you know, just going down and down the list of guys that were going to fix the problem. And it never got fixed. But we're supposed to believe because the Broncos overspent on a right tackle that's not good at pass blocking, that you have to understand that the 49ers drafted 
to be a cornerstone core player of their franchise and then said, we're not, in, not even going to bother you know, offering a second contract to. I'm not saying he's a bad player, but I'm saying, you know, every time we talk about that with our own players, we say, if you don't get a second contract, you're a bust, right? We're going to say, if Jerry Judy doesn't get a second contract, he's a bust. When we were talking about with Bradley Chubb, if he doesn't get a second contract, he's a bust, right? So with the 49ers, Mike McGlinchey, you know, he wasn't worth a second contract. Like when you draft somebody that high, top 10, you expect him to be a core player for your franchise for years to come. And he was a decent, you know, to good player for them. But at times he was dangerous to them in the in the passing game. And they said, we like you, but we don't love you, Mike McGlinchey. And what have we seen in camp? We've seen that they have struggled blocking. They've struggled mightily in blocking. And I'm not saying that's going to happen in the regular season. I don't know yet. I'm taking a wait-and-see approach. But that offense to say, it's oh, the offensive line is fixed, that's a leap that others have made I am not willing to make yet. And in the skill position games, uh, posi- you know, the game, I'm not willing to make that leap yet, particularly a wide receiver when you have the same old cast of characters that you've been trotting out for years now. But all of a sudden, magically, they're going to start producing at this high level that none of them have ever produced at. And you just lost the best of the bunch so far in all their careers. Again, are they going to sit around and do nothing or are they going to make a move? And so I'm looking again at Dalvin Cook's stats. Because where are you going to find big plays on this offense? I know we want to say Jerry Judy. When I was hosting with DMAC, he's like, oh, man, Jerry Judy's going to be top three in the league this year. How long has he been saying that? Since he's been drafted, DMAC has been saying Jerry Judy's going to be top three in the league. I'll believe it when I see it. Just like Michael Porter Jr. is going to be in the Hall of Fame. We're, we're, and I'm, I don't know that anybody's been a bigger supporter of Michael Porter Jr., in the Denver media than me, but dude, even with with me, it's time to put up or shut up for him and for Jerry Judy. They need to find playmakers. So we'll talk about this coming up on the other side. Um, Another thing I also want to uh, get into that I was talking about a little bit yesterday with some of the guys that have been watching him the entirety of camp, is Seattle Russ dead? We'll get into that coming up next.